Hello and welcome to another edition of Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. My guest today is Alexander Parker, one of the best journalists I've ever worked with and sadly lost to the trade through a combination of very poor management and his own intolerance for nonsense. Today, Alex calls himself a consultant in the automotive and energy space. Well, we all know what that might mean. For me, it means he's an expert on the future of the automobile, electric cars, that sort of thing. And I want to talk about that today because of an article I read online over the weekend. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. And I just before we get down to electric vehicles, the death of Johan van Sale over the weekend from COVID must be an incredible blow to the local motor industry, particularly uh, to Toyota. Hey, thanks, Peter, and thanks for your very generous introduction. Yeah, I think that uh, Dr. Van Sale's death is a very sad moment. I mean, of course, the, the initial reaction that we're seeing is that everyone is extremely upset because he was such a kind guy and such a witty man and, and just generally pleasant to be around. But um, I think that the full impact of his loss, I think we probably don't really know yet because um, he was starting to work on some really, really important stuff uh, with the government um, and with obviously the motor industry about the future relevance of the motor industry in South Africa. And, um, you know, he had this vast career. I mean, at one point, Peter, I don't know if you know that because he was CEO of Toyota in Europe, but he was trying to, to also manage South Africa as well. There was a period of time, uh, I would say about 18 months, that he was spending two weeks in Brussels, a week in Tokyo, and a week in Johannesburg, and that was his month. Um, he really was an incredible uh, machine in many ways. So he got an awful lot done. And um, aside from the sadness of his passing and the fact that I think that he will be missed as a person, um, his leadership was really useful at this time, at this time of sort of great disruption. And um, so, yeah, it's terribly sad on many levels. I mean, he was he was sort of, in, in the automotive sense, one of those key industrialists in the country, like the, the, the guys who are credited with starting ESCOM and, and uh, ISCOR and those kinds of... I mean, he, he, he had the ability to... And I don't know to what extent, you know, because he was working for a, a company, not, not the state at the time. But... A lot of the way that the South African auto industry has expanded and entrenched itself as part of our economic landscape would be because of him, because of what of decisions that he made and decisions that he was able to get Toyota to make. Yeah, I mean, he really, um, I mean, he 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 took a business that was strong and had and had been um, extremely well founded. I mean, the, the the company's policy of of having a a dealer in every dorpy, which of course was how they built the business. Um, many years ago, but he took that business and he particularly was a, a great ambassador for production in South Africa um, to the point where he was able to bring the production of that most important vehicle in this country, the Sesfakile, the, you know, the, 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 the taxi, the Toyota taxi, um, built on the same chassis as a Hilux. Um, and the fact that that car is built here, the Hilux, and the fact that they expanded production in, um, in Durban generally was really due, due to his sort of consistent champion, championing of production in South Africa as a good idea and as a basis for an Africa strategy. So, yeah, he, uh, his, his value to the sector is really hard to, um, to measure at this point. 
So he, he would also be, in a way, at the center of the conversation that we're about to have. One, because it interests me because following your very good advice at the time, six years ago now, seven years ago, I bought a Toyota Hilux. I presume it was made here. Um, and yeah. I, uh, I have to make a decision now, right? So I'm 68 years old. I may have one more car in me. Yeah. What do I do? The, the Hilux is perfect. It does everything I ever ask it to do. I don't need to get rid of it. I mean, I've done about 100,000 kilometers, not quite yet. Uh, and it's, uh, I use it fairly sparingly. But there's a whole new generation of technologies coming into the, into, or the industry that might make my car very hard to sell one day, uh, even though it is a Hilux. I got to that sort of thinking about it after reading a, a column of his regular column in the Sunday Times in the UK of Jeremy Clarkson. He had been given to, to, to test as he, you know, you, you've been a motoring writer, you know what these things are like. He gets an electric car to, to test. It's called the Toyota Mirai, and it costs 64,000 pounds, which isn't, you know, which for you and I, I mean, that's a good couple of weeks' salary. <laughs> and But he yeah. makes, you know, he, 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 what he does in the piece is interesting because he says, look, this, first of all, he says, I had an electric sports car on test recently, and God's truth, it was wonderful, lovely to look at, lovely to drive, and fast beyond relief. But there's no getting around the fact that child labor is used to source some of the ingredients in electric car batteries. I mean, you think about it, what do you do with your iPhone when the battery runs out? You throw it away. Well, what do you do? Um, and you, you know, you get another iPhone. You can't do that with a car costing that much money. And no. one wonders, sort of, you know, whether we are taking this rush to electric vehicles too seriously, as, as you've known and have told me and educated me. The British government is going to ban the sale of petrol vehicles, of new petrol vehicles, uh, from 2030. That's not a very long time away. Um, and he asks himself, "Well, hang on a second. Um, I mean, if we have to buy, if we have to buy electric cars, what if that technology is overtaken by something else?" And he moves to hydrogen as a as a fuel, which is what Johan Sell was advising Department of Trade, Industry, and Competition Minister Abraham Patel on. And hydrogen is a real is a real contender, here, isn't it? It is, and I think it should be. Hydrogen, uh, obviously, when you burn hydrogen, you your only waste is uh, straightforward H2O, it's water. So from an environmental point of view, it makes a great deal of sense. And certainly for uh, certain sectors of mobility, I don't think there's any question that hydrogen will be the future. Um, and I think especially if you think about haulage, um, shipping, even aviation, uh, where you need to move a great deal of mass, I think that the energy required will mean that hydrogen Hydrogen power is, is is likely to be the future. And I know that uh, Dr. Fincel was certainly working on the hydrogen corridor and the green hydrogen future that South Africa is trying to insert itself into, and especially uh, with regard to shipping, because obviously, as I'm sure you know, shipping in terms of environmental impact, shipping is is, is very dirty indeed, because it burns the lowest grade kind of fuel. When you talk about a hydrogen corridor, Alex, what do you mean? Essentially, they were discussing producing, uh, creating a network of hydrogen stations between Johannesburg and Durban to try and reduce the carbon footprint of the, the haulage on the N3, which, of course, is the busy corridor between our biggest ports and, and, um, and the center of the economy. So, so advances in drivetrains using hydrogen have obviously come, al come along a great deal. Um, and in, in Jeremy Clarkson's review, have been available um, even in passenger cars for some time. And Honda uh, recently discontinued their model. They had a hydrogen car. 
Um, I've actually driven a Toyota Mirai. I drove one in um, in Tokyo. And um, I think the thing that Jeremy Clarkson discovered in writing his piece or perhaps in driving the car is that a hydrogen car is an electric car. Yeah. Um, it just is fueled in a different way. Um, there are internal combustion cars that run on hydrogen. In fact, BMW built one about 15 or 20 years ago, a, a big V12 7 Series that literally burnt the hydrogen in the cylinders like a, a current internal combustion car would, rather than a, a fuel cell vehicle, which is what the Mirai is, a, a fuel cell electric vehicle, uses hydrogen to run a generator that charges the battery that drives the car. So that's the difference. Um, I think that um, the problem with hydrogen is that it, it's extremely difficult to transport. It, it requires a great deal of energy to create, to separate the atoms, to create hydrogen. Um, and uh, it's very difficult to store. So there are logistical challenges in terms of getting it out. It's not just like a liquid, and it's not like electricity. So that the when you, when you consider the, the future of personal mobility, and you look at what's going on in the EU and the UK, and now Canada, and we're expecting to hear some kind of announcement out of the federal government in the US as well, um, there's going to be a ban on, um, or should I say a phase out of, of petrol and diesel powered cars by 2030 in those markets, and then a phase out of even plug-in hybrid cars from 2035. Now, Toyota have <clears throat> started lobbying quite strongly against that, and they have various arguments as to why that is a bad decision, and they are arguments that they base on, um, on environmental reasons. But the sense out of um, these big developed markets that are trying to get out of internal, internal combustion is that for personal mobility, an electric car is a simpler and better solution. I think that a lot of what Clarkson was saying in his piece makes a lot of, a lot of sense, I think, to people, especially in South Africa, who have, haven't experienced the technology and have all of the inevitable concerns that come with it. Uh, where can I charge it? What happens if the power goes out? Where does the battery come from? You know, talk about child labor, that kind of stuff. So those are all um, concerns that can be, I would say, amplified by people who are frightened of the arrival of the technology. But that, like all of these things, to be fair, they are based in some kind of um, truth and that there is a problem, for example, with the mining of lithium and cobalt and those kind of things that go into the batteries. We know that that is true. There, there is, especially in the Congo, in the DRC, there is a problem with mining. Um, I would say around about 20% of the minerals that come out of there um, to, that go into batteries for cars are mined in those so-called artisanal mines that are poorly regulated, if at all. Um, the motor industry is responsible for about 45% of the mining of those minerals. Um, so it's a significant contributor. Um, the, the rest is, is essentially your iPhone and your Huawei yeah. and everything else, the technology sector. But just, just come back a moment, because I want to get to the South African sort of angle in the story. But we're talking now about two kinds of new car technologies. One is a battery-powered yeah. electric car, and another one is a hydrogen fuel cell-powered electric car. Is that right, or is it? Yes, right? that's right. Um, and yeah. at the moment, it's the battery-powered electric car that seems to be, you know, has a bigger share of the market. And I presume this is what... Uh, Tesla's are and and cars like that, right? That's right. Yeah. And and you were saying that 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 hydrogen lends itself 
possibly better to heavy haulage kind of vehicles like trucks, ships, as you as you mentioned, because of the nature of hydrogen itself. So it's hard to transport, it's hard to store, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But I keep hearing about, and, and Jeremy Clarkson goes back to it in this piece, which we've now both read. I keep hearing about JCB in England. Yes. Who are, I don't know quite what they've done. I'm sure you do. Who have taken an ordinary combustion combustion engine and can run it off hydrogen. Yes. So what's coming out of the exhaust pipe is still going to be water. Yeah. Um, instead of petrol. Where are we there? I ask this because, you know, if if, if South Africa is a small player in, in almost everything that it does because everybody gets these technologies first. It's a little bit like Britain trying to Britain's early entry into the computer markets. You remember those funny laptops that that chap Klaus and made, and uh, um, and and yes. so you know we, yes. we we risk, and I've seen you know Minister Patel say this is a great thing for localization, and I think oh God, you know you, if you don't get into a if you don't make this part of a global value chain and try and establish your own, yeah, you'll just get lost, you know. And so what is the opportunity here and what should we be doing? So we've got right. we've got we've got battery powered cars and hydrogen powered cars and petrol powered cars or engines. And they might be and hydrogen, as JCB is showing, can actually be run through an internal combustion engine. What's gonna win here? Where do we end up? Why is it so confusing? And what do you buy? If you want to buy a car now in the UK, for instance, our bigot—I think the UK might be our biggest export market. It is, yes. Um, and uh, the EU plus the UK is eighty percent of our export market in terms of cars. So the uh, internal combustion phase out in twenty thirty is an imminent and very threatening problem for the local motor industry. Um, it's not something they haven't seen coming. Obviously, um, everyone's aware of it. Um, so uh, whatever. You know, obviously, they, they play their, their cards very close to their chest, but um, the car companies will be will, will, have, will have seen this coming and will have made their plans accordingly. Um, you ask, how can South Africa insert itself? Well, it's difficult. Whereas before we had um, platinum for catalytic converters, um, today, what, how can South Africa meaningfully insert itself into some kind of automotive supply chain? The answer is it's very difficult because even the Germans and the Americans are are, are behind the ball when it comes to a battery cell technology. I mean, China is by far and away the world leader in this. So in South Africa, what are our opportunities? Um, and uh, a, a local uh, think tank called TIPS um, has really gone into this quite hard. And they, they came up with the conclusion that actually South Africa's greatest opportunity is in the recycling of batteries because... Make no mistake, um, that is a critical part of the infrastructure of the electric mobility going forward. Um, the issues around mining that we've skirted around are real, and um, they will continue to be uh, a problem. The, the industry, the OEMs themselves, are uncomfortable with the, the conversation around where the, where the minerals come from, so they're already instigating their own processes. Volvo is using... Is using um, all kinds of clever computer technology to make sure that they are able to trace every single element that comes into one of their batteries. Um, BMW has made direct acquisition deals with, with mines in Australia and Morocco just to make sure that nothing that they use in their car batteries comes out of the Congo until the um, regulatory and the, the, the self-policing infrastructure around the mining of these minerals is fully in place. Um, 
Now, there are various um, platforms and organizations to which car companies are members which certify the ethical sourcing of minerals. This is already something that's happening because the car companies are worried about it. Um, but it's still a, a work in progress, I guess I would say, to make sure that everyone can be 100% sure that the minerals that they are that are in the battery of the car they are driving did not um, come from you know the labor of a child or something. And that's really what people are terrified about. That's what the car industry is. The, the car makers are terrified about. What about the consumers? What about me and my Hilux? And how do I replace it? I mean, Clarkson, we, you know, we all read him because he's funny. Yeah. So he goes on about how, how this car that he's driving, uh, the only thing dripping out of the exhaust pipe is water. Um, yeah. And he says, that's brilliant and elegant and wonderful. Um, but there are only a handful of hydrogen filling stations in Britain. And usually most of them are closed for one reason or other. So you can't actually go anywhere in a Mirai, even if you were daft enough to spend uh, £84,000 buying it in the first place. Right. Um, and just one last quote. You may imagine that if it were to catch on, the cost would come down. But how will that happen? And how will that happen? You know, and how will we get more hydrogen filling stations? Everyone down the road is charging rechargeable electric cars. Like, we're all buying laser discs because we don't know the internet is around the corner. Right. I mean, it's classic Clarkson. It's brilliant. You know, usual, usual stuff with him. It's hard to argue with someone who's so funny. But, um, you know, sometimes it's, it helps to turn these things on its head. And I want you to imagine that we've always been driving electric cars and now we're being asked to look at hydrogen or petrol. So we're used to a situation where you plug in your car at night at home um, um, or you plug it in at the office. And then the motor industry starts motor industry starts rolling out a technology where you have to go to a grotty petrol station in the middle of the night to fill it once a week. It would be hard to motivate for that change. If you take electric mobility as something that you're used to now, and then you try and impose the idea of petrol power or hydrogen power where you have to actually go and gas up, it seems ridiculous. I think that a lot of the concerns that people have around electric cars will dissipate. Uh, it was a very interesting conversation involving uh, someone senior at BMW the other day at a, a, a webinar I attended. And he made the really interesting point that we all worry ourselves about range in electric cars and will I get to where I need to be? And actually, in the future, the uh, range of the average city car will start going down, not up. That's because it'll have a smaller battery. And the reason for that is that the charging infrastructure will be much more widespread. So why would you need to spend so much money and have so much excess capacity sitting in the battery in your car where you really only drive 60Ks a day on average, uh, if that? It gives you the confidence to buy a cheaper car with a smaller battery because you know that the infrastructure is is, is so much more established. You, you don't need a 400-kilometer range on your electric car. Why would you bother with that? It's like having a 90-liter tank on a, on, a, on a Suzuki Swift. It's just not something you would consider. Is the, is the current, and leave aside the JCB experiment with hydrogen through a, a traditional internal combustion engine, and I'm sorry to be so thick about all of this, but so hydrogen, you need to actually fill up with the hydrogen and put it somewhere where it then converts into electricity, which powers yes. a car. Yes, that's right. right. So you have, to, you have to put it into your car so under so pressure. You can't manufacture the hydrogen on the go. No, no, it doesn't. No, no. So you have to fill up your car with hydrogen in a hydrogen tank in your car, which is obviously under massive pressure. So the car, in other words, there's, there's not a, it's, not, it's not possible that, that, you know, while we go home, might be going home in 20 years' time and plugging the car in to the house 
to charge the car, where you could plug a car into the house to charge the house, rather than absolutely. I mean, that's that's um, that's a, a quite a futuristic view, but there is a sense that I mean, one of the problems that people sort of raise with electric cars is what it, what does this do to the grid? And actually, what it does is what, what what anyone who runs a massive utility. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful in this country to be able to f to flatten the demand curve? The demand curve. I mean, that that's what electric cars have the capacity to do if they are sort of widely adopted because you have a much lower dip at night because everyone's charging their car and in the and when um and if there is a sort of surge of demand every i mean most of the cars are plugged in most of the time i mean um that would be it, it's sort of like a massive free uh, storage exercise essentially um that i mean you know we're nowhere near there yet but in principle there's no reason that that can't work yeah Sorry, my producer is, and she does this around about 20 minutes. She says, get in your burning questions, which is a, no pressure. Um, I'll put my help. Yes. <laughs> um, but let's get to, let's, I mean, the burning question for me is, uh, what do I, you know, what do I spend my last car money on? And, you know, it's a 20-year or 15-year proposition, a decent car. Right. Do I, you know, do I, how long do I wait? I hold on to the Hilux. There's nothing wrong with it. It goes just fine, and it, um, it's, uh, it's diesel, which I presume is even more frowned upon than any other fuel at the moment. Depends who you ask. It, it, it reduces, it produces fewer, much less CO two, but obviously in terms of the pollutants and the, um, the knocks and the socks, <laughs> and and the particulates, it's very bad. Yes. All right, so I don't feel so bad about sort of um, uh, contributing to global warming in that case when I drive around. But what do I buy? What, I mean, what would you do? How would you advise somebody my age about, you know, the half million rand or whatever it's got, your next car is going to cost you? I mean, a, a, I was shocked to find that a golf, a golf would cost me more than half a million rand if I were to buy one new today. That's unfortunately what half, a half-decent car costs now. So anything with low emissions technology, even just a hybrid car, is very, very expensive. We're not going to be quite on the uh, on the cusp of this change just yet. So I would say, for, in your case, you know, probably just keep the Hilux. If you, I mean, you know, it's, not, it's not going to break, Peter. You know, let's let's be honest. Uh, unless you're towing towing the horses, I didn't realize you had everywhere. But um, it's no. That, the the problem actually for us is what do Europeans or British people decide to do with their next car that's the great challenge for the south africans because that's where our car goes. yeah so if you are um currently driving around yorkshire in a south african made vw polo and it's time to replace your car and it's 2025 or 2027 are you going to buy another petrol car when you know that the technology is essentially banned in three years time um this ban has quite a profound implication on the market long ahead of the ban because people are going to worry about what to buy. So you're going to see a very fast change. I mean, in the EU, I think the June figures were 20% of new cars were electric. In Norway, famously, it's 80% already. So the change is going to come hard and fast because I think that people realize that um, the technology works and um, it, 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 you're safe with the car. I mean, there are all kinds of other positive things about electric cars, the fact that they need hardly any servicing and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Jeremy Clarkson's concerns about the batteries. Well, I don't know. I've got an iPhone 10 and it's fine. <laughs> I've had it for three years. You know, they do. I mean, obviously the batteries do 
eventually reducing their capacity. But I mean, you're talking about losing 20% over 10 years. You know, if, you're, if your internal combustion car can be that good after 10 years, I think you'd be happy. Yeah. And for, for South Africa and for the local car industry, where do, where do we go? Does each manufacturer make up its own mind and, 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 and place its own bets on, on what to do here? It's interesting that the, that, the, that the UK 2030 deadline does not apply to Bucky's, um, uh, which helps us because obviously we, we make yes. highlighters for export here too, I presume. That's right. Um, it does in the EU, though. It does in the EU. So it's only to private, it's only to sort of private cars, right, in the UK at the moment? In the UK, yes. Um, in the EU, it does include vans and, and pickups. Right. Um, Alex, do we have to worry about, um, in, the, in, in the near future, this kind of UK environmental border control where anything that they import from outside of the EU uh, would come with uh, its sort of environmental footprint kind of attached to it. In other words, it would they would want to know how much carbon had been produced to to make the product which you're trying to sell them. I think it's going to be a hugely important issue. Um, it's called the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism. It's called CBAM. Um, and in the way I think in, for South Africans to understand it, in the way that we have to account for uh, especially listed companies in a, uh, your BEE procurement processes and just making sure that you understand um, the black ownership in all of the structures that come into your accounting and your company, they're going to do the same with, with carbon. And um, to start with, 2023, it's really just the big stuff. So it's energy, steel, fertilizer, that kind of stuff, concrete. But um, the plan is very much that that's going to trickle down into everything. And the idea is that it will protect uh, European companies that are compliant with European carbon regulations from, well, actually protect them from companies operating without of that jurisdiction, but also from, to stop them from outsourcing that production of that product out of the EU. Uh, they call it carbon leakage, and that's what they are, that's what this CBAM is supposed to stop. Um, so for, for, for uh, I don't know, a citrus farmer in um, the citrus, in, in, in the Cedarberg, this is not an important topic now, but it will become one um, over time. And it means sort of anyone who does business in the EU is going to, at some point in the next decade, need to account for the carbon of the production of their product. Um, and we're already on the back foot because our logistics, um, especially with our shipping, is a problem. So the Hanford sales work, um, with the hydrogen corridor and the green hydrogen and getting hydrogen into shipping is so important because um, it's going to make smaller South African businesses compliant in terms of, well, it could help smaller South African businesses be compliant in terms of their carbon when they want to do business with the, the EU and avoid those taxes. And, and very lastly, Alex, so um, the, the, and bringing it back to Johan van Sale, he was, he was, the sort of guiding hand or the, the experienced hand on the tiller of this technology, this hydrogen technology in South Africa, with him out of the way, or sorry, sort of badly put, but with him no longer there, what, what, how do we approach the future of hydrogen in South Africa so that we don't, I mean, we potentially, we could probably, we were probably already left behind to a certain extent. Um, 
is is there is there an international value chain here to join or do we just look after ourselves with our own technology in order to make what we export more um, environmentally acceptable to our customers i think that um i, th- I mean his loss is is a blow but um and 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 Minister Patel needs to find someone to step into that that breach of that that critical nexus between the government and business that Dr. Fincel was so adept at filling. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it's a difficult one, Peter. The, the you know green hydrogen. We have the sunshine. If we can get around the politics, um, it would be a brilliant opportunity for South Africa. There's no question. Um, to create green, green hydrogen here, and you, because you need you need the PGM minerals to to make it right. That's right, and you need sunshine, and um, uh, you know we've we've got all of that here. Um, when it t- when it comes to uh, the broader problems of of our location and um, uh, shipping routes and all that kind of stuff, you know that's not much we can do, but we can make ourselves efficient, and we can we can if we can get green hydrogen going here. Then, um, then I think we've got half a chance. It's always brilliant to have an excuse to talk to you, Alex, and, and it's good to see you uh, on the screen that I can see you on. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here today and, and um, enlightening us on the future of a very important industry in South Africa. It's been great, great talking to you. It's my pleasure. And uh, thank you for listening, and I'll be back next week with another interesting guest. And uh, do keep safe, keep those masks on, keep your distance, look after yourself. Bye-bye. Thank you.